This is the Financial Coconut Podcast, Singapore's first personal finance podcast network. My name is Rakesh, and together with Anthony, we discover worthy financial news and derive insights for all you coconuts. We are part-time investors with an intense full-time career. If we can do it, you can too. So join us every Thursday for TFC Weekly Market Updates. Hey Coconuts, welcome back to Weekly Thursday Market Updates, where we scour the net to find worthy financial news for you. This week, we have a new guest, Kelvin Wong, a senior market analyst at Awanda, and we're going to be touching on three topics as usual. First, Fed and ECB monetary policies together with China PMI data. How are these things linked? Why does it matter to us investors? We dive down deep with Kelvin on this one. We then talk about two lovely stocks. One is Apple. Second story, Datadog, a scale-up with a price-to-sales ratio of 14x. Is that still a good metric? More in this episode. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Coconuts. Welcome back to Weekly Market Updates with me, Rakesh. And Anthony, we have another guest today, Rakesh. Yes, it's back to our new format. And we do have a macro strategist here tonight. Kelvin, how are you? Great, great. Thanks for having me on the show, Rakesh and Anthony. So uh, in fact, uh, this is my uh, first time to be in uh, your podcast. Yeah, So pretty much happy about that and looking forward to our conversation later on. Absolutely. I think Coconut's a quick thing about Kelvin. He's a senior market analyst at Awanda uh, with over 15 years of experience in trading and providing market research on foreign exchange, stock markets and commodities. Awesome. And for today, Coconuts, we have three stories for you. Of course, we've got Chief Kelvin in the house. So we're definitely going to be touching on Fed and ECB monetary policies. Our second story, we're going to touch on Datadog and its earnings. And of course, last but not least, everyone has to talk about it. It's Apple. To our first story, Kelvin, take us through what's happening with ECB right now. Okay, so before about this ECB, right, uh, because usually the most important thing is the press conference where uh, okay. Lagarde herself will go to actually give a guidance for what guidance of what ECB policy would be. Because we know for sure that uh, the last couple of months, ECB has been remaining steadfast of either 50 basis point or 25 mm. basis point. So right now we are looking at 25 basis point. So they kind of make a very pretty much clear stance that they are looking at inflation targeting rather than concerning mm-hmm. about growth. Because now at this point in time, right, okay, before I talk about the Fed, right, so we have this expectation in the marketplace that there will always be a pivot by the central bankers. So mm-hmm. as a pivot, is a total change of its prior direction. That means, as you all know that for now, all central banks are actually hiking. So right now, there is actually bets being placed on the market saying that, hey, because you guys are actually tightening too fast, it will actually impact growth of the market. So okay. they are expecting them to be a bit more like a proactive people. Proactive. That means before economic growth goes into a recession, they will actually prevent a recession from happening. So that's why i.e. we start to see certain stocks in the market right keep on rallying or outperforming against the, the rest of the pack. So one of them will definitely will be the Apple, yeah. One of the Apple, the NVG, all those guys, yeah. But unfortunately, based on what Lagarde's ECB press conference, it doesn't seem to be they're actually leaning towards what market wants them to be. So they're pretty much concerned okay. about 
inflation. Okay, so I, I think immediate questions, right? One yes. is there seems to be a bit of a divergence between Fed where I think Powell's presser last week was kind of like, oh yeah, we're hinting. I mean, he keeps saying data dependent, right? But I think yep. he, he changed some language. So instead of expecting a 25 basis point hike the next time round, he seems to be hinting more at a pause, right? And yep. you have the ECB coming out and saying, hey, you know, actually, I don't really care. I'm still really focused on inflation, so I'm going to keep hiking. And that is exactly. their hint to the market. Yep. And I guess the question then is, does this this divergence, you know, affect, let's say, U.S. equities, for instance, right? I mean, uh, I guess European yes. equities maybe because they, they go into recession faster, but it's not really our focus. In a sense, I buy Shell, but that's it. Right? <laughs> and Shell is not really like a okay. European stock. Does this divergence matter, for, let's say, if you're focused more on like the Asian equities market or the U.S. equity market? And I think just to add some context there, yeah, our okay. listeners, right, they're investing into stocks in the U.S., to Asia, Right, of course, some of them in Europe. So, how does this impact? Okay, so this is where the interest and the excitement of macro uh, macro factors comes into play. Okay, because uh, give me a context, right? We're talking about last couple of mid ten or twelve years ago among my peers, right? They say macro is dead. Yeah, it's really dead. Why? Because yeah. the central I bank think up to two years ago, macro was yeah. dead. <laughs> yeah. So, so there was uh, ever since the Great Financial Crisis, GFC two thousand eight two thousand nine, nobody mm. really. But they focus on macro in their investments, rather or in their analysis, like, yeah. analysis. Why? Because the central banks are always keeping rates at near zero, so they actually uh, smoothen the volatility of the macro factor. Okay, but so right now, right, with central banks normalizing, we call it monetary policy, with the exception of Japan, we got to look at international investors' point of view. That means, i.e., right, let's say, for example, if I am a player or a fund manager or the investment hub, let's say be a pension fund, one of the returns that we'll be getting is definitely a raw return from the equity itself. That means you XYZ, you get dividend and the capital gain, right? But do not forget over here is that being an international investor, right, I got to factor in foreign exchange movement which is pretty significant as well. Even you do hedging or all this, there, there will be a cost, all right? So some yeah. of them will actually do a partial hedge to actually take advantage of a potential movement in FX. So this is where central bank policy comes into play. Yeah? One of the factors that could affect foreign exchange, because think of it, foreign exchange is always relative. It's not like you're just having a stock, you see. So if you are buying dollar or selling dollar, it's always against something. It's like you're buying dollar against what? So yes, I am purchasing dollar, but you need to sell something, right? So let's say, for example, if you are an international investor, you want to purchase US set. Let's say I'm a Singaporean. That means you are buying US dollar in exchange for Apple, but you need to sell away your Sing dollar. All right. So one of the uh, returns that you could get over here is that the US dollar appreciate faster than the Sing dollar during your tenure of your investment. That means you make a gain mm. when yeah, you actually yeah. receive dividend or when you exit your position in your so-called long US dollar shareholding. So interest rate differential is one of the factors that impact foreign exchange rate. I guess then this is like the inverse of the US wrecking ball, right? So, you know, yeah. where previously last year or this year they were hiking so much that it kind of messed with the developing economies and, and their balance of payments and the exchange rates there. Precisely. You know, now they, because the Fed is pausing, but the EU and I guess a few other developed jurisdictions are still hiking, then that reverses the USD strength against these currencies. Not necessarily against the whole world of currencies, but against these basket of currencies. Yeah, and you're saying that the US will be impacted because of what you said right at the start being that you need to sell something in order to get euro, for example, and you're expecting that the US is going to be the ones that's going to have to supply? Okay, so this question boils down to the demand of which country has a higher demand or we call it the propensity of demand that, that could attract international capital flows into mm. their equity market. So the European story right now uh, is actually driven by, number one, 
is the growth of uh, the China economy. Okay, because you know China is reopening, and we start to see tourism. Uh, and, and they all go and buy LV bags as well. LVMH earnings go bonkers. So, yeah, so you see the the, the particular stock right go all time high. You see, so yeah. that actually create what I call we call a sentiment flow or feedback loop in terms mm. back into the European market. So what we could see over here is that if you look at certain European benchmarks, uh, stock index like the German DAX is one of them, that's, uh, which is I think very close to about three to four percent away from its fresh away from its all time high. Yeah. So that, that actually explains this demand flow into this uh, European country. The funny thing over here is that the story over here is that we're talking about a weaker dollar, which is being driven by that interest rate differential narrowing between the yep. US and the rest of the world. It's actually benefiting traditional emerging markets and yep. countries that have huge US debt borrowing in terms of their cooperation. Yes. Yeah, so EM is one of them definitely because they do not have the... Because nobody wants their local currency. Everybody wants to be dominated in USD. Yeah, so they, 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 they can't, they can't issue... Is, right? Nobody uh, wants their local currency. Yeah, so you, you can't issue emerging currency bond in the market to get fully 100% subscribed by their local currency. So mm-hmm. they tend to actually issue international currency. So USD is the favorite choice. And now the tricky portion over here is the China play coming into equation. Let's talk about the China PMI data. So, so I want to okay. share about this PMI data. Yeah. So yeah. this China story, right? Because if you look at China, right, it's a very interesting market as per se. So a bit of context over here is China number two economy, but their stock market in terms of liquidity and debt still lose out to Europe, still lose out to Japan, and still out to US. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but people still look for growth in their country. Growth. Talk about growth because of the way the government policy pushed things. But what happened last year or two years ago is that this clampdown and there's this, let's call it the COVID zero, very stringent policy, policy. that scare, scare away investors, international investors. So we start to see two years ago, the China stock market tumbled pretty badly into bear, bear, into bear market territory. So even some of the China big tech stocks went from, I think, from a high of 2021. That's terrible. I think it went down 60% or 70%. Yeah, was, not not yeah, as yeah. much as, <laughs> let's say, not even data, no, right? not, not as much as some of the, the, the crappier US tech names, but yes, um, still a lot. So, so the thing about China is that we've got to take into account of what the top China policymakers in their minds what are they planning to do? Okay. Mm. Rather than by just looking purely at the macro factor and the business model of this individual major Chinese corporation. So late last year, there is a reversal of such draconian policy. So we start to see a lot of research houses saying that, hey, perhaps China is the place to look at again. Number one, why? Because valuation is cheaper, definitely, compared to the rest of the world, especially compared to US. So you look at mm-hmm. the P ratio of China big tech like Alibaba, JD.com, compared to Apple, compared to Microsoft, is cheaper in a set yeah. much lower in terms of valuation you look at valuation uh. then secondly over here is that we got to look into account of the China policy maker so very clearly right, there are some signs that hey the China policy will say that the corner measure seem it's more or less over for now we are now encouraging growth of such tech company but tech company as per se it seems to me that they are looking at some companies that are rather not internet platform company, but more of a hard tech company. Hard tech. Like it. Right. They, they yeah. want chips, they want semiconductors, Correct. they want, they, want AI. You know, they, they, they don't want to sell more things and, yeah. and have more live blogging platforms. <laughs> Correct. So they are looking for this, another kind of technology, you see, the, the tech thing. But on the other hand, they also require this payment company, which already have their so-called DNA inside their business model to help them push with their digital yield. It's part of payment, yeah? Mm. Okay, so now back to the interesting story is that the Chinese policymakers, right, in their key meetings, because the thing about Chinese policy, right, okay, because in US, in Europe, right, it's much easier, right? You have ECB, you have the Fed, so be it. But in China, there is a lot of community meetings and it's being chaired by, you know, a top person. He chaired a lot of these <laughs> meetings 
people actually it's a top-down approach. Okay, so one of the top meeting, the, the most one is a commonly monthly uh, political bureau meeting. So in the last meeting, right, before the May Day Golden Week holiday in China, this particular political bureau meeting made a very bold statement saying that they are still very concerned about internal growth in China, which is weak. Okay, that means mm-hmm. i.e. they are very focusing on domestic consumption. They actually make a statement saying that expansionary fiscal policy should come in hand, hand in hand with monetary policy. Current PBOC governor still remains the same. Because initially we thought that he might be replaced by someone who is much more attuned with the current uh, top policy makers' mm. yep. leadership role of thinking. Very interesting, he still keep this guy as status quo. So the last since October, right, when China starts to kind of reintroduce more stimulative or more accommodative policy from the fiscal and monetary side, PBOC has been very taking a very targeted approach. That means, i.e., the loosening of this liquidity tap is a very slow and get gradual basis rather than opening the tap at one shot. Yep, but so there's too much of an influx. Yeah, so they don't want they don't want to have a boom bust mm. scenario that happened in the past anymore. Yeah. So I guess that's not great for equities. I mean there was this, you know, initial influx of I guess flows and liquidity from the international yeah. investors last October, yes. which was great. But then so, I think right. people are realizing that hey, you know, the, the PBOC is not the Fed or it's not the ECB and the, the Chinese government is not US government and helicopter money, right? Because mm. it's not only monetary policy, it's also fiscal. The fiscal policy Precisely. of China is also a lot more restrained in terms of, you know, pushing money into the economy than what the US did, for example, in COVID. So, you know, as an international investor, maybe you shouldn't expect the Chinese equity markets to behave like the US markets where everything went crazy in 2021. Um, for the first 10 months, right? And and instead, it's a lot more slow and steady. And because of that, your expectations and all that have to be calibrated a bit as well. Uh, yeah, precisely, precisely. So the funny thing about Chinese over here is that, you know, the Chinese stock market is still run by animal spirits based yeah. only on sentiment, especially on mm. the short term to medium term. So based on what guardians from political bureau say that they are very concerned about weak domestic demand, which actually reflected in the manufacturing data as well, the PMI, as well as the services PMI. So growth did actually slow down. Then definitely the manufacturing PMI went into a contraction territory for the latest month of April. That means they went below 50. New export orders went down as well. So that actually implied that international growth is actually slowing down as well, which is actually not good for Chinese China. manufacturers. Yeah. So now the funny thing over here is that because the dollar strength is weakening as well, because of Chinese top policymakers are concerned about growth. That means, mm-hmm. i.e., they will do some kind of stimulative measure. So because of this, right, that actually led to a rally in the Chinese stock market. In the first, in fact, last week, last week the HSCI went up quite a fair bit. That outperformed the US market. So where, if we are looking at the Chinese markets, um, you're you're absolutely right. It's animal spirits in in the retail side. That's why people go crazy over certain valuations, like higher, which is completely insane, mm-hmm. um, for a white goods company. But then at the end of the day, you know. If we are concerned about structure, if we are concerned about flows, then you know that that it's not the US market, and we all have to be very aware of that. Yes, precisely. Yeah, got you. So I mean, as a quick summary to this story as well, right? yeah. we started off with EU raising rates, moving a little divergent from the US. What we're trying to say from there is of euro back into EU, which means more of a supply in the US, uh, which could mean a devaluation of the US dollar. And then to throw into that with, with the Chinese um, and what we just spoken about, where they want a both seemingly not so steep growth curve, but at the same time, use monetary and fiscal at the same time to be able to open and close the taps. 
And what that will do in impact to the Western markets is that based on the U.S. weakening or anything that goes in the Western market, they will open and close the tabs accordingly so that they will maintain a steady growth. So right now we start to see this the picture about China coming to place that yes, in short, China, the markets is still, the equity market, market is still run by this animal spirits. Mm. So for a longer term player, we need to really understand the tea leaves, read the tea leaves of the China top policymakers, which particular sector they actually they are paying more into focus. Overall, in general, uh, a weakening US dollar potentially could benefit the rest of the world, that means including China as well as uh, Europe uh, equity markets, yeah. potentially, yeah. Got it, got it. Awesome. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And I think this is a great segue into our second story, right? Because we because talked a bit about the US. <laughs> yeah, let me finish the sentence, <laughs> la, Anthony. <laughs> yes, absolutely, right? So I think we, we can definitely dive into Apple here with the US side of things, with the China side of things. What's happening with Apple, Anthony? Besides Apple is a Chinese company, which, which actually was a, a very interesting article in the FT this week by some investment guy at Elliott Management. They had earnings, right? So mm. what, what happened? Uh, earnings kind of above expectations, you know, I think, which is always good. But I don't know, right? I'm, I'm permanent. I'm not bearish Apple, but I always, don't always see it as overvalued. So take it with a pinch of salt. But at the end of the day, you know, to me, Apple is about the strength of the global consumer, you know, because they are a consumer company. Um, earnings yep. is up. It's earning. Uh, well, EPS was at one point five, one fifty two. Um, so it's four or five percent higher than expected. Revenue was about what two three percent higher than expected. Gross margins were great, right? Um, you expect gross margins to fall, but it, as people start heading into a recession, but you know it, it was better than analyst expectation as well. I think from how they have performed from the past quarter, they have done very well, right? Their revenue, iPhone revenue is up and all that, but. What if you look at it in different sequences? Oh, year on year, everything is up. Everything is, you know, above expectations. But you, you look at on, on a different level, actually, at certain levels, you know, your revenue was down. So actually, year on year, revenue was down by 2.5%. Mm. Um, Max and iPad sales were down by like 30-something percent. It, it's not great. And, and we kind of could see this by like, you know, um, AMD poor results in, in computers, things like that. So there, there is a bit of a weakening in Apple, I would say. It's just that people were expecting it to weaken a, a lot more than, than it actually did, which, is why, which kind of explains a bit of the price movement, right? And yeah, back to Apple is... Chinese company. <laughs> um, <laughs> not, not that we've done the boring numbers. Um, I, I think where this is coming from is, is two bits, right? One is the growth of Apple really is in two segments now. One is services, which is which was up. I mean, for growth engine, it wasn't great. It was up 5% year on year. I from think, a lower base store, billion. right? I mean, it's 20 billion. So it's, and it's 22% oh, okay. of revenue. So it's not that lower base anymore. I think it was a low base when, when we talked about it last year. Last year, But, yeah. you know, it, it was like App Store payments, iCloud, Apple TV, all, all that kind of services, yeah. advertising, right? And all these are important because they are much, much higher margin products for Apple than traditional hardware like 
phones. You know? mm. So so services is, is one growth engine that they have. The second is you know geographies, right? Like Asia is really the key driver, not only in in China, but you know increasingly in India, where they open like I think the first two stores and and they met the prime minister. And Tim Cook went there, met the prime minister and stuff like that. So, yep. you know, d- these are the growth drivers for, for Apple at, at this stage. And if you look at manufacturing, where they do all their stuff, it's still China, China. right? Yeah. Like, they, we have, they have talked about offshoring, nearshoring. It's going to Vietnam, it's going to India and all that. But, like, India has started one factory. I don't think it's even built yet. And, mm. and when it's built, all it does is it takes parts from China and put them into the final form. So all the parts are still from China, right? You, you are not moving your entire supply chain into India at this stage, and it will take a long, long time to go. And this is where kind of the, the geopolitics comes in and, and why it's scary for Apple, in my view, right? Yeah, I think just before you talk about why Apple is actually a China company, let's go back to that numbers again, right? iPhone sales, I was reading some articles that iPhone 14 didn't do quite as well as they expected. But you mentioned yeah. it's still gone up. It's still increased. Um, I think partially because they have increased prices. So total sales has gone up, but number of units hasn't been great. Got oh, it's it, been great, it. but it hasn't like really matched up the expectations. Got you. Um, and I think, you know, with the with the peripheries, which is your Macs and iPads and all that, last year, if you remember, they came up with the really cool 16-inch Mac and all of that stuff. So the, yeah. obviously that's going to have a lot of, of hype and stuff like that. It kind of explains it. But I think it's great to, to hear about the services side of things, that they're trying to diversify. Mm. So I guess that's where Apple is trying to go in terms of let's not bank everything on the iPhones. It accounted for 50% of their revenue, uh, I think, two years ago. So now they're yeah. banking on, on diversifying into services. Would you say that's yeah, their plan? Yeah, and I mean, it, it, it's obviously their plan and, and it's been their plan for a bit. And you can see why, right? Because they have captive. They, essentially, whoever uses an Apple is, is a captive in their ecosystem. <laughs> you know, you, you mm. have to use Apple for everything and Apple takes a cut off a lot of things. You know, you, you pay $10 to buy an app in, in the App Store, Apple takes 30%. Right. And, and they just kind of won that lawsuit against Epic, um, where, where Epic mm. tried to circumvent it by directing people to a third party site and buying off the App Store. And Apple said, nope, this is against my terms of service. You either delete that or I'm going to kick you off the App Store. Right? So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of rude, to be honest. Um, Any competitive <laughs> conduct. But I mean, but whatever, it's right? TOS. Um, it wasn't it illegal. Like... <laughs> yeah, it wasn't yeah. illegal. The, the court route in Apple's favor. So, mm. you know, they, they'll be able to continue extracting that rent um, as a went. Oh, sorry. They'll, they'll be able to continue extracting that fee for maintaining the App Store and making it a safe and wholesome environment for everybody. Yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah, why they're charging yeah. it. You, you practice um, yeah, in front yeah. of the mirror <laughs> to say that line, lah, Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> I, I practice very hard before enough to do okay? <laughs> got it, got it. But, you know, you, okay. you kind of... And then they, are, they have also started doing, I think, a lot more ads. And the, there was a whole ATT push as well, I think, 18 months ago that kind of messed up Facebook slash Meta, yeah. right? Where, where you yeah. stop people tracking and the only people who could track users on the Apple iPhone was Apple, Apple. you know, and, and they, they yeah. took all first party data away from, from advertisers, yeah. you know, and, and that, you know, boasted their advertising service because, hey, you know, who has the best, most targeted data for Apple users who are famously rich? Mm. Apple, right? Apple. And, and that boosted their advertising revenue as well. So, you know, I think that that's, this has all been kind of a cycle. They built a platform, they locked people into that platform, they made it super easy to use, you know, great user experience, and then now they are extracting their rent from the platform. Just mm. fair. Right? Gotcha. Everybody does it. You know, it's good capitalistic behavior. If they weren't doing it, you would kind of ask them what the hell are you Why? doing? Why are you not yeah, making money? Right? Got it. Um, yeah. <laughs> 
Now, obviously, they're looking to expand into India. We've seen that. Um, but there's also been this geopolitical tension between China and the US, right? And I believe Apple yep. was right in the middle of that uh, last year, um, where they had to bring some factories across from China into the US as well. Now, clearly, yep. they're looking at India as a, as a middle ground to perhaps open something up. Would you say that's, again, their diversification plan in terms of hardware and manufacturing, just in case the tensions uh, over, boil over? Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely a diversification move. And, and now it's, it's a race, right? It's, it's whether yeah. Apple can move out of China fast enough. Then China decides that, you know what, I'm pissed off with US now. I'm going to shut down Apple factories. I'm going to shut yeah. off Foxconn factories and, and nobody gets an iPhone. At the end of the day, that is kind of an existential risk to Apple, right? Because if you lose 90% of manufacturing and you're a hardware company and you can't sell you know, new iPhones for two years as you spin mm. out new factories... Exactly. What are you going to do? Exactly. <laughs> you know, their iPhones kind of die after two or three years as planned obsolescence anyway. So, you know, and, and their business model is they'll continue selling new models, right? So yeah. that, that is the problem. And, and I think this is, you know, maybe a bit um, underappreciated where, you know, there is a lot of concentration, not so much in the sales um, of Apple, but mm. in where they make their products that they sell, right? Yeah. And, you know, China has started showing displeasure of US because of the chip well behave chip sanctions, chip behaviors, whatever you call not to call that, right? And everybody's talking about decoupling of supply chains between the US and China. I think it really is a race between when Apple actually manages to do it, which is a very difficult task. Yeah. And when, you know, tensions really get so inflamed and China, Chinese just go, ah, whatever, right? You can make, or maybe they go, Rest you can make I, iPhones in Apple, Rest but you can only sell them to China. China. Right? China. <laughs> only um, the Chinese can use Apple products. <laughs> and then it's like, huh? Would, sure. Wouldn't go that far. Uh, <laughs> actually, I would go that far to say, yeah, you know what? They could just flip a switch tomorrow and we're all screwed. Um, yep. but, but Kelvin, I mean, to, to, to ask you as well, um, doing, doing the macro stuff. I mean, I'm sure geo, geopolitical tensions between the US and China I'm pretty sure you 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 know you, you study that you do that a bit. Uh, any any thoughts on this front? Because it's a race mm. that Apple yeah. has to do. Okay, so if you look at the current situation in terms of geopolitical climate, right? Before that, we talk about uh, in the early part of 2000, perhaps after the dot com bubble, where mm. China goes into the WTO. So at that point in time, everyone is talking about globalization. That means we have where potentially we start to see uh, things. In terms of prices, uh, prices of costs and services actually went down dramatically. Why? Because mm. MNCs were actually focused on where is the best place to produce at a cost that is lower. All right. So that that's one of one of the reasons that you see inflation hovering below two percent during that that globalization decade. But what we see in the last couple of years, five years, especially more pronounced uh, last year, royal political tension rose. Okay. So China and US has been started since the Trump administration. Mm. And right now you throw in Ukraine and Russia, which indirectly impact China got involved as well. Okay. <laughs> so what we could see right now over here is that we start to see a dismantling of this global supply chain. That means instead of talking about globalization, MNCs now are caught in this, we call it a fire between different sphere of influence of countries. Mm. that want to actually dictate themselves. I mean, hey, we have this particular US bill of influence. We have another China's bill of influence. So they tell the MNC where you want to be, okay? which bill you want to play. Okay? So instead, right now, we are now starting to see the rise of uh, de-globalization. 
So with that, right, that actually impacted MNC's uh, cost of production, or no matter how you put it, even though the cost of delivering their final products. So has gone up. Yeah. So if you look at the last two years, one or two years, right, some of these companies are aiming to actually maintain their market share. They haven't passed mm. on these goods to their end user. But right now, we start seeing more and more these company, right, they couldn't sustain this anymore. So they eventually, they will actually start to actually uh, up their selling price. So that's why we start to see inflation, right? If you look at a uh, certain component of the inflation, especially the sticky inflation in the US or even in Japan as per se, it actually didn't went down. It actually didn't went down so much. It still remains pretty much elevated in the last uh, one and a half years. So that's one of the concerns, you see. And mm. on the other hand, there is, uh, we talk about Apple, cost of production will eventually pick up, okay, if this thing continues because they are being forced to actually, it's not say that, hey, in best business practice, uh, I will locate my cost of production in cheaper basis yeah. down are being forced to move onshore due to certain acts that is being exactly. come up by congressmen right yeah something something we're going to be mindful of and also do not forget over here is that apple itself it's okay we talk about apple yeah it's a global consumer stock but apple itself is very important stocks in international investor portfolio why uh because you look at apple it's the biggest way in the nasdaq <laughs> Yeah, in the Nasdaq and S&P. Okay. And so, S&P, right? Yeah. It's all these stupid market-weighted, you know, market-cap-weighted indexes. <laughs> exactly. that, that's a problem. <laughs> so so it will create a negative feedback loop uh, impact pretty significantly because of this uh, is, is, uh, biggest weightage, you see, in the two most followed and most uh, owned, uh, we call it uh, stock indices, which is the S&P yeah. and the Nasdaq. That, that, that's why they never dare to short Apple. <laughs> no, 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 never short Apple because people just blindly buy the index, they'll buy a lot of Apple already. You you can't beat that flow, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and there's a bit of, I guess, um, th- support for that price, right? Just based on volume and, and like traditional people DCAing and then buying indexes uh, every yeah, yeah, those passive flows, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think we, we have more on Apple, but we'll make that into TikTok shots. We'll do that into TikTok TFC market updates. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely absolutely okay last story folks data dog yes small tech <laughs> finally you get to say something right okay data dog <laughs> tell us about it so data dog is actually cloud monitoring as a service lies is what they say so effectively you can you know they link very well with with aws and you can monitor essential security mm-hmm. like um like effectively matrices traces logs made to your application how's the infrastructure going is it going to collapse you need to you know integrate with third party how is that flow how is all of the data flows uh happening with your platform and others so that's effectively uh-huh. what datadog does okay so they should sell to dbs so their ibanking doesn't go down <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure someone has tried Moral, sorry. <laughs> yes <laughs> So they reported a loss of eight cents a share, but I mean it's still a growing company, so it's you know that's quite normal. But one thing I want to bring up here: first things first, numbers. They reported revenue of four eighty one million, uh, beating estimates. Right, actually this is thirty percent mm. over last year. So they're actually okay. expanding quite a bit into the system. But I think one of the key things I want to point out here is they peg themselves very much as a part of AWS. You get AWS, it's almost synonymous for you to, or they're trying to be synonymous for you to get Datadog to monitor. Does it mean that they kind of partner up with AWS sales? Yeah. So when you sell AWS, the AWS person actually goes, hey, you know what? We, there's this other company, you know, that is our trusted the party vendor. You can consider using them. Well, I think AWS themselves can't do that because they, I'm sure they have many third-party vendors yes. that do they, this. They have similar, and they have similar services. Yes. Right? <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, but Datadog will be definitely saying, you buy AWS, you should buy us. Right? 
Ah, okay. So, so they are more. I, I guess the, their usage is more aligned to how AWS can be used. Correct. Yeah. So AWS will never say that they are trusted. I mean, our only trusted partner. Let's put it that way. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. So and they peg themselves so much is on their website, on their first page, mm-hmm. right? On AWS, how is it going? Blah blah blah. Um. So that's that's pretty cool. However, one of the things that we spoke about last week, well, in the short, was that AWS's growth was slowing down from 33 to like 15% or so, which then comes to mind on my side. What does that mean for Datadog, right? Yes, it's now, yes, they're still forecasting a growth of so-and-so, but your existing customers, how are they going to be? Are they still going to have a net retention value of 130, which is what they boast currently, by the way? How is that going to be? That's my first question. Number two is that I still feel that if you look at Datadog's price, Right. And, and for coconuts out there that are looking to invest into smaller tech like Datadog, they did see a dip during this tech repricing, but it's still one of the highest stocks, if you think about it. Their price yep. to sales is still pulling out at 14x. That's, really high. That's very high. <laughs> but more importantly, if you compare to the peer average, it's around 10x. And yes, they, they are forecasting 22% growth. They are forecasting 30% net margin, et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, 14x is quite a fair bit to be saying, yes, I want to buy into Datadog. So I mean, those, those are, are certain things that I have, right? Datadog is very committed. They would say they are going to be expanding like crazy. Mm. But Anthony, Kelvin, what, what are some of your thoughts? I guess one question from me is, as far as I understand it, Datadog is kind of hyperscaler agnostic, right? In the sense that it can work with GCP and Azure. It's just that they have just done a lot more business with AWS, which maybe kind of makes sense because AWS up to half a year ago was like dominant in public cloud. Mm-hmm. If their product works with GCP and, you know, and Azure, and if they are, their salespeople are halfway competent, which I would really hope they are, although if you look at Cloudflare, maybe not, um, then like I don't think the AWS tie-up is that big of a problem, right? Because you know, they, they can, I mean, the question is really around product market fit, right? It's, it's really around whether people do actually find their products useful and whether their products can be used on, you know, all the big major cloud providers. If the answer to both those questions are yes, then, I mean, there might be a bit of a transition period where growth slows down a bit as, you know, their sales processes retool and all that and they start hunting for new targets. But longer term or even medium term, this probably shouldn't be an issue. But this makes a lot of assumptions that, you know, that their product is good and they, they can sell properly, which are very big assumptions to make, I think, in this market yeah. for this valuation. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I get what you mean. Um, the other company that I know um, that is actually aligning themselves more with Azure is Dynatrace, uh, which is effectively ah. the same thing. Right? Yeah, <laughs> but Dynatrace is private, I think. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm just saying, like, I mean, this is the competitor, lah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. Uh, I have shares of Datadog. Um, they are surprisingly up now um, after the recovery. <laughs> so, well, I right. so I'm finally back in the green. <laughs> um, but I don't know, right? Like, the, the more I think about the observability market, which is kind of where they sit, their attempts to land and expand, like, everybody's doing the same thing, you know? Like, exactly. they, they are they are observability, then they move into, like, data processing and all that. Snowflake is going the other direction, right? It's warehousing and of data and then trying to move into observability. Cloudflare is going God knows what and they want to do everything now. <laughs> um, so, you know, to me, there can only be one or two winners yeah. um, because... And, and as early as we are into like, you know, the shift to cloud, we are not that early anymore, right? And all of these users, you know, all, all of these other things, 
might not actually be business critical for something like PNG. You, you take a step down, right? Something like LVMH. Do they really need Datadog or yeah. you know, Snowflake to, to optimize their processes? Uh, maybe exactly. not, right? Um, yeah. It's all your new age companies that will want to do all these, you know? And, and I think that kind of limits the actual TAM that they might have and, and kind of limits adoption. So I'm very, very wary about things like this. I mean, I, I love the story, right? I, I love that, you know, it's great. We are going to change the world. We are going to make businesses so much more efficient. They're going to be so much more targeted. But at the end of the day, will everybody need to do that? Uh, yeah. I think history probably tells us no. I, and I guess that's that's where I'm coming at, right? Like, they are the ones targeting the new age companies, which are crippling, yeah. right? The tech industry isn't doing very well at, at this point yeah. in time. Um, and if you look at... So do you uh, have budget for data dog to begin with? Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. And if you look at Snowflake, they're doing the other direction. So you need the warehouse. Then you yeah. <laughs> then you move into observability. I have shares right? in both of them. So okay. as long as one of them wins, I'm happy. <laughs> right. <laughs> Talking about um, book here, please buy all these shares and publicize it. Thank you very much. <laughs> Just buy index. Just buy index. Don't worry. <laughs> no, 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 no. We are going to have an investing cost to teach you how to do things like this. So yes, you should buy individual shares. But exactly. And that's, that's the point I want to bring up. After all these discussions that you and I have been having, it's still third, four, 14 sales, price to sales. Is that really something that, that we can justify? Kelvin, I know this is not yes. a micro uh, in terms of tech and stocks, but it's not exactly your space. But what, what are your thoughts on, on this conversation? Yeah, sure. So definitely, if I look from the macro perspective, right, uh, 14 is clearly very price-rich or expensive relatively compared to it pairs. Mm. Uh, if you look at the current situation in Datadog right now, right? Okay, so the, the, the thing about individual equities, right? There are actually two components that's driving the prices. One is the firm-specific factors, which uh, Anthony and Rakesh, well, we, you guys have been covered through very in-depth, which is very, very interesting and insightful. Let's say if I talk about competitive age, whether tech companies wants to use Datadog services or not. All right. So that is the firm-specific base factor. So another factor is we call it the uh, macro factor or the if you're talking about corporate finance professor, we're talking about undiversified risk. Okay. <laughs> oh, it's screaming back to me. <laughs> <laughs> or, 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 or they call it systematic risk. Premium. Yes. Okay, let me it. Yeah, they, they call that way. Yeah. Okay, so this macro factor, right? Right now, it's actually playing a significant importance to it. Why? If you look at the year-to-date performance of the analog, it's actually up close to 10%. That actually surpassed the S&P return of 7%, 3% point, which is quite a huge job. Okay, so what you could see, Datadog right now, right, what market perceive it is as a growth company rather than a company that is diversified and stable. We talk about Coke or talk about McDonald's uh, or Starbucks. It's a growth company. So in terms of growth company, right, being an investor, we tend to look at a longer term time frame of future cash revenue or cash inflow, depending on how you look at, or profit growth for mm. this company. So it's a long haul. So we're talking about maybe 10 years, 5 years, or even more than that, all right, down the road. So in between, you may not be able to have dividend because this company got to reinvest their whatever surplus cash into their infrastructure to gain more market share or to improve their services to attract their customer, all right? The story here right now is over here is that earlier on, we talked about the Fed, right? There's actually expectation in the market saying that, hey, the Fed is going to pivot this year based on... And the- they are wrong. If you look at the case right now over here, is that the markets are now okay? Because previously we were had this saying, "Don't fight against the Fed." Don't fight the Fed. Yeah, not everybody yeah. wants to fight the Fed. The Fed yeah. is not, not going to okay. cut. That people keep thinking that they will so, cut. So, so if you look at 
whatever you see, right, on po- what happened in post-Fed last week, right, markets are still pricing in potentially uh, before 23 and one percentage point of cut. Whereas Powell didn't give any clear indication. He said, hey, we are still inflation fighting. I'm not concerned about the banking situation now in US. They believe that the banks are still healthy. Okay, so he, he gave a pretty clear message. So, but the market don't believe him. <laughs> I don't care. You are going to have to cut. The banking <laughs> okay. situation is terrible. You know, all okay, of you so, will have to come so, and save the day. <laughs> yeah, so now the, 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 the next question uh, being investors of such uh, long duration growth company or long duration risky assets. Mm. What if the fact disappoints the market expectation. Which it will. <laughs> Shy price collapse, time to zap <laughs> uh, uh, so, so, so this is something uh, being, uh, it's part of the risk management process, you see. So, so let, let's say, for example, then do not forget over here is that because uh, investing in individual component stock is pretty much different from in, uh, from basket of in, a basket of uh, shares or the index or ETF. Mm. So these are something that we got to be aware of. That there is certain, that actually we are facing two risks. First risk is the first basic risk, and the other risk we call it the systematic risk. Okay, yeah. systematic factor. Yeah, got it, got it. Awesome. Um, but it's you. You mentioned. I mean, to summarize, the, it is pegging it as a growth stock. So, which is the reason why we're seeing this uh, this form of price to sales, right? Because I mean, fourteen yeah. is is above really most hard. of the other scale ups that you're seeing as well. So yet, yet to see if, if Datadog is going to be impacted by this AWS, or will they be sort of uh, agnostic to just one company and move across the, uh, the other cloud systems as well? Yeah, I, I think I kind of preferred the, the world where Macro was dead and I could just look at the company. <laughs> oh, yeah, to tell, oh, yeah, Systematic company, risk, no, no such thing. No, no <laughs> such thing, right? That will just keep printing. They'll helicopter money down, it'll be fine. Um, now, now it's like, ah, okay, fine, it's a good company. But, you know, are we in the correct part of the market cycle? You know, are, are markets generally being mispriced because they have mispriced the you know, Fed actions? Hmm. It's another layer of complexity, right? That, that's always a bit difficult, which is why we have started doing a bit more macro and a bit more study into it. <laughs> just because you need to understand it. it. It's no longer the case where you can just buy a good company and, and forget whatever the price and, and forget about it, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And on that note, Anthony, it's not that easy to pick a stock now. So yep. we want to teach you guys, right? Yes. I mean, not if you can't do teach, I guess. <laughs> but no, no uh, <laughs> semi-seriously, you know, we, we are going to set up a TFC Academy. Um, it will be hosted by me and exactly what Kelvin has said, right? Macro affects micro as well. So mm. we'll build that into the process. You'll start looking at how to do a bit of growth investing, value investing, dividend investing, you know, in case some people like cash flow and want to retire early, like me, you know, very important. So it's meant to tie everything together. I mean, we, we keep talking about a lot of things, right? And we, we keep hitting on the same teams and again and again. How do you buy? When do you buy? You know, how do you look at companies? How do you think about companies? How do you think about macro? You know, it's all our learnings over, I think, what, two, three years that we have been doing this and, and mm-hmm. consolidating that, taking the best of it, you know, including previous geekouts we have done and all that into a nice package that everybody can access to if they pay us by signing up for the course. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're interested, you know, head over to thefinancialcoconut.com, um, put your email in, we'll contact you when we are ready to start. Right now, there, there's a lot of information out there still, right? So, so we are still curating, still cutting down to make sure that you actually get an effective learning experience. Absolutely. And yeah, I think once again, just to end this off, Kelvin, thank you so much for taking the time. I hope you had a fun coffee chat with me, uh, Anthony and I. Definitely. We, we should so, actually uh, get a beer soon. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure, sure. So hopefully we have a real catch up, yeah, rather than virtual. Yeah. 
Okay, Coconuts, thank you again. Um, and again, leave us some feedback on this new experience. I would say a new show. Love to find out if you want us to continue this, so on and so forth. Thanks, and we will see you all next week. Bye. All right, see you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode with me, Rakesh, and trust that you learned something today. If you enjoyed the session and want to be part of the banter, join our community Telegram group or follow us on social media. We also have a weekly newsletter to get a digest of the news we covered. To sign up, please click the description below. As always, we love your feedback, so share that with us at hello at thefinancialcoconut.com. Thanks and stay safe.